everybody. This is The Simpsons Show. I'm Robbie with my co-host Matt, and we are here to talk about The Simpsons from the beginning. Matt, how are you? I'm fantastic. Luckily, I don't live on top of a tree. Yeah, I agree. I'm also glad I don't live on top of a tree. Yep. Seems I, I'm not a huge fan of heights. I don't really mind heights. It's just the whole possibility from falling from heights. Uh, Lisa's platform is a good start, but I would like to see some guardrails, quite frankly. Otherwise, that's just an accident waiting to happen. Uh, it's definitely against building codes. Exactly. And definitely. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if we're talking about building codes here, we're probably going to have to uh, look into, you know, plumbing, electricity, uh, a roof overhead of some type. I mean, really. You got to pull permits for that. We got to pull some permits for all that. Indeed, we do. You have to use licensed contractors. I know some people. <laughs> good. Good. Hi, guys. We are brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash The Simpson Show. For only $2 a month, you gain access to all of our bonus content, seeing uh, bonus episodes, weekly episode reviews of The Simpsons, King of the Hill, Rick and Morty, all kinds of stuff in the back catalog, including like commentary tracks for The Simpsons movie and a lot of the episodes. Guys, we have recorded so much stuff. There's, Please listen to it. There's a lot of it. Make our lives worth something. <laughs> that's, that's just the story of this podcast. This week's episode is... Lisa the Tree Hugger, episode C A B F O one. It's the first episode uh the uh the, the proper season twelve production run. We finally have left the season eleven production run behind. We'll see if it gets any better. Maybe? Maybe, maybe. maybe. Uh, originally aired November 9th, 2000, written by Matt Selman, directed by Stephen Dean Moore, scored a Nielsen rating of eight point five, works out to about fourteen point nine million viewers. It was among 18 to 49. The rating was a 7.3 with 17. I don't know. Some of these numbers, I don't understand how. I need to do research on Nielsen ratings, I think, Matt. Because I thought you only added the, the top, the total amount of viewers if it was more than, if it was like an hour long show. Or did they do it by, maybe they broke it down by 15 minute quarters in this. I don't know. Um, I don't think it matters. The chalkboard gag. I am not the acting president. I mean. I think this was, I don't, this, I mean. 2000 Clinton was still the president until that's true until uh, January. So yeah. when did this episode come out? November 19th. It was after the election. Oh, so, you know, because there was a dispute, obviously Bart would become the president. Okay. I got it. Uh, the couch gag, the family are Teletubbies and they, and it delights Maggie, which I, I, you know what? I really like this couch gag. It's very wholesome. I like Maggie being happy. That's really all it, all it took is just Maggie's like delighted that her family are Teletubbies. So that that's all I wanted. Um, so guest stars Joshua Jackson as Jesse Grass, old old Dawson himself. No, Dawson was James Vanderbeek. He was Pacey. Come on, Robbie. That was a trick. Out your ass. That was that was a trick, Matt, to reveal your knowledge of Dawson's Creek. Well, that's true. Also, Joshua Jackson, R.I.P. He's no, Josh. He's not dead, Matt. Shh, Robbie. That's the joke. <laughs> I don't get your jokes, Matt. Where are you? Mm. Internet people, please, please help me. <laughs> no, don't. Robbie I, and... I get enough. I don't get it. I don't need any more information about the life and or death of Joshua Jackson. <laughs> uh, the episode begins with a new video game system being advertised on Krusty's on, on, on Krusty the Clown show. Something 256. Game Station 256. It's not the it just how could you possibly make do with a game station 252 when there's a game station 256 out there well i mean if the, if one is four better than you know 
obviously you just throw your old one away at that point. Old consoles are worthless. <laughs> Depends on the one. So I mean, it's better now that we have new consoles that still play the games of the old consoles. That helps a lot, actually. Well, some of them. Uh, but, but Bart wants it, obviously, because of course he does. And he needs money to do so. He goes to Marge and Homer asking for the money and uh, gets lectures about thrift and oh, working. Mom, can I have 200 bucks for a 256K game station? That's less than a dollar a K. Oh, I might be able to help you with a song about thrift. When you get a penny from a chum, don't just buy some bubble gum. Put it in your cap. Put it in your cap. When you find a nickel in the snow, don't just blow it on a picture show. Put it in your cap. Put it in your cap. I don't have a cap. When you spy a quarter in a pie. <laughs> you want money? Get a job, like your old man. Well, maybe I should. So, now you're smarter than your old man, eh? Huh? I guess. I like your attitude. Take what you need. <sighs> poor Bart. What, doesn't he realize Homer's poor? I love Marge's song, Matt. It might be my well, favorite thrifty individual. It might. I'm really not. It might be my favorite part of this episode is Marge's little song right here. Uh, this episode, it, uh, it Matt Selman has a reputation now of, of like still he still writes episodes, still works for the show, show partial showrunner of the show, and he still has a reputation of being the 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 guy who kind of digs back into the kind of feelings that you know the golden years often create with kind of wholesomeness and in and kindness at the root of the like familial drama it's not as yeah, mean yeah it's not them being mean to each other yeah it's just you know oh look uh, the parents are acting like old people do and trying to enforce their values on the younger generation yes it's not homer is not a third child he is just an incompetent adult which is there is a distinction there um so Bart goes to get a job. He works at the barber shop where he gets paid in hair. Uh, didn't you know every barber shop was run by crazy old men? I that one certainly is. Uh, I I I go to a nice, pleasant barber shop where. Sure you do. They, sure you do. I do. I went. Got my hair cut last last week. It was. Nice. I, we follow you on Instagram, Robbie. We know who's we. You got a mouse in your pocket? <laughs> Everyone who follows you on Instagram. <laughs> I don't have that the, the only thing Robbie ever posts on Instagram is occasionally get a picture of a cat and every haircut he's ever gotten. Matt, it, allow me the small vanity, okay? <laughs> so, Sorry, just to... Bart has Bart flees the barbershop after the barber is terrifying. Well, that's and that's a like we've seen that same barber a lot, and now we have his secret that he's actually a psychopath who pays people in hair. Or I don't know if a psychopath, but maybe a little bit delusional. Ah, uh, the way he was laughing at Bart as Bart was like backing out of the door. Mm. That's true. A delusional person would be like, "No, this is money." But you're right; he seemed like he knew what he was doing. Well, so. Yeah, yeah it was right. a little, uh, a little creepy. So Bart decides to be a guy who puts menus on doors. A menu guy. It's true. At first, he he fails miserably because no one wants them. I mean, which is true. No one wants them. Very accurate. And so he's going to quit. But then the restaurant owner, who is a, a character, I think it only exists in this episode. I don't think we ever see this guy again. The Thai menu guy? Yeah. I believe he comes back from time to time. Does he? 
I yeah, but like in group shots and things, I don't uh, think he ever talks again. He definitely wants his daughters to go to really good colleges. It's true. Not no state college. He wants a, a good school. Yes, you don't want them, you know, subject to the drunken jockocracy. <laughs> so he kind of challenges Bart, and Bart steps up his game and becomes a ninja, and and we get a long sequence uh, referencing the Matrix with bullet time sequences where Bart is like flying off of ceilings and lowering himself from roofs and hanging. Yeah, it's not. It's almost Looney Tunes, but not quite. No, I mean, I think it, it is enough of, it uses enough of the motif of the Matrix that it's not really, I wouldn't call it cartoony. It's, I don't, it's, it's, you know, I think it is directly aping the Matrix and stuff. And I think that excuses it from calling it Looney Tunes. And plus there's no, there's no real violence in it. It's just him being a ninja, kind of. Yeah. And no one could stop him. Um, surprisingly decent gags about menus, Matt. What were you, you're, you're you. You're, su- you're surprised they they weren't bad? Yes, I was because when you think about oh uh, menu jokes from The Simpsons in season eleven or twelve, you're like oh this is going to be stupid. It's going to be somehow racist and also not funny. This was like oh I get it, Matrix and ninjas and in Bart. You know I really enjoyed uh, the the hounds joke. Uh, Bart goes to put a menu on Mr. Burns' door and Mr. Burns calls the hounds and the hounds already have menus on their collars. That's the kind of thing where I just giggle a little bit and he puts them on the pinkies of the old ladies at tea. I mean. It's not hurting anyone. It's nice. It's a good change. Yeah, it is. This this episode is pretty refreshing uh, after the run of episodes we've had. So, and and it, and it has a neat segue between the like. It is not just an abrupt. Hey, here's the intro, and then here's the plot. It is. It actually. It kind of le- one leads into the other, which I think is what the best Simpsons episodes do. It feels like a natural flow of. Okay, yeah, the, the the initial thing in the episode is maybe tangential to the actual plot of the episode, but it is there is a connection there. And the connection is that Lisa is upset about Bart Bart throw basically throwing menus away, which is wasting paper, which is I mean, if you if you put a whole bunch of menus on people's doors, 90 plus percent are going to throw them away. It's like spam email or junk mail. The you get the 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 return rate is so incredibly minimal, so you're just throwing away resources. At least spam doesn't really hurt as many people as you know junk mail or menus. Here, you throw this away. Exactly. And so Lisa's kind of upset that as an environmentalist, she's you know it's wasting paper, killing trees. Uh, she's upset, and that's kind of the intro, just to, to segue into like, kind of ease us into the main plot, which is what happens when they go to Krusty Burger. Uh, and we get a little bit more about Lisa's beliefs. Bart, do you know how many trees died to make those menus? I don't know. A million? You're ruining the earth. True, but I gots to get paid. Money equals funny, sister. Oh, Betty. Bart, it's so sweet of you to take the family out to Krusty Burger. Hey, some people in this family are doers, and some are donters. Don't you call me a... Take that, Lisa's Beliefs. Yeah, take that, Lisa's Beliefs. How dare you have principles to stand up for? I'm going to ask you a question, Matt. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this episode, that line in particular, do you think that is trying to 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 pull like a wink and a nod at us to try and like say like we're, that it's aware of the fact that Lisa's often the 
beliefs character. I can see that, but I don't believe that it's ridiculously winky and naughty. I, I, I don't think it's intended to be like that is what I'm trying to say. Like, I understand that interpretation, but I don't know if that's what they were going for. I think what they're trying to go for here, and this is me being generous, I suppose, is putting that kind of phrase in Homer's mouth makes is supposed to uh, explain to the viewer that, look, these are the kind of people that will mock your beliefs. You can't you know, trust them. You can't, you know, take what they say for full value because obviously they're morons. Again, that's me being generous. I yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that the episode is like smart and is like, I, I, I still, this episode still is not like brilliant or anything. Like, I think it's much better than what we've had recently. Uh, but I, I still think it has a, a lot of dumb in it. Uh, and I think it, it does a lot of aren't environmentalists and hippies and vegetarians and vegans, aren't they snooty and haughty and dumb and smelly and kind of very lazy stereotypical jokes? See, mm. I, I almost feel like a, a lot of the jokes here are basically encouraging people to take a middle road uh, because obviously you have the straight up evil of like the rich Texan and even the Thai menu guy to some extent. And then you have the super eco environmentalist guys and it's obvious they're taking things a little too far. Um, I mean, honestly, yeah, I wouldn't say they're taking it way too far, but I think the Simpsons are basically preaching to the middle in this particular case, which yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't I think I'm getting, I, Again, it's 2000. This is well long ago, but yeah, that's, I think that's a, it's a false dichotomy. There's not shades of gray. There's not, you know, like, oh, you, these are not your only two, two choices is to be the evil rich Texan or to be a person that dresses up like a cow. Like, I yeah. feel, I think, I mean, at least, and Lisa is reasonable, I, I would say, and she is the one who do, does most of the sacrificing of this. But also, they're not throwing pain on people. They're not, like, directly assaulting people. They're standing on top of a fast food restaurant and saying, hey, you're eating animals, which they're not wrong, I guess. They're there's just like cows. They don't. I don't think they deserve getting shot with a bagzooka, <laughs> as it's as they as we see because they they get to the crusty burger and there are people just like cows on top of the crusty burger. Um, I don't think it's being held hostage. It's not like they're keeping the place shut, is it? They're just being loud. I mean, the the uh, it seemed like they weren't letting people in, but it's hard to come across in a half second. You know push across the screen right and so the cop the crusty gets there the cops get there they start shooting at them with beanbag guns and then finally the leader of the activists the lead cow the mother cow i believe is is wiggum says is knocked off with the bagzooka and lisa meets jesse that's nice work with the bagzooka gotta love what you do chief <gasps> are you all right <sighs> I've had worse. <gasps> In New Orleans, they hose us with Tabasco. Oh, you're so heroic. All right, cowboy. I'll see you in municipal court. <laughs> Good one, Chief. What? What'd I say? I can't believe how young he is. He'd be cute if he weren't so idealistic. <sighs> He's handsome, but... Uh, I kind of got that from the music. Lisa is smitten. Sigh. Lisa is smitten at first glance from Jesse, the leader of the. 
calling them terrorists is a little bit strong word, Matt. Fine, environmental activists. Yes, I think that's more accurate. They're not. They're not. There are. There are eco terrorists who like blow up stuff uh, and, and kill people. They're not doing any of that. Not that we see. They might be. You never know. <laughs> I don't know. Jesse is a level five vegan, Matt. He would never do anything to hurt You'd people. You'd hope so. I, you'd be surprised when people are like, oh, I'm vegan, but I would kill a person in a minute who mistreated an animal. I mean, that's basically PETA's whole thing. I, I don't know. PETA's whole thing is, I think, uh, a <laughs> shell game to collect money from dumb people. and Also dis- true. And distribute it to their leadership uh, without you know actively doing a lot to help animals is that's that's largely my impression not not that also i i just wanted to say real quick i really appreciate this episode uh for its balance of lisa um you know we always talk about lisa oh lisa has episodes where she is basically the mouth of the writers and then you have episodes where she is basically an eight-year-old girl and i think this episode does a good blending of those two like lisa has the concerns of a you know an environmental warrior like the people in dirt first uh but she's also a little eight-year-old girl who you know gets a crush on the leader of the group i mean it's a better than usual treating of lisa honestly yeah i agree uh how how old do you think jesse is I would probably say early to mid 20s. He doesn't strike me as a person who understands how to actually achieve his goals. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pretty accurate. Uh, I, we go to commercial with the with the Lisa being smitten. With Lisa being smitten. When we come back, uh, we learn that the ego group holding the Krusty Burger hostage uh, is Dirt First, which, oh yeah, oh yeah, great name. Uh, their leader is Jesse Grass, as we said. That's his name is flashed up on the news report, uh, where the rest of the family seems to make fun of him, except for Marge uh, and Lisa. Basically, has, she doesn't really defend herself to the family, but she's like, "Oh, I, I'm not. I don't have a crush on him. I just think he has some very interesting ideas." Which you know, Lisa, that's how it starts, honey. Anyway. Uh, Lisa goes to visit Jesse uh, at the prison. Uh, this is one of my favorite jokes. One of the ones I remember so much from this episode is when asked when uh, she asked Police Chief Wiggum if he wants to come with her. Wiggum replies with, "Hey, I get enough flaming toilet paper thrown at me at home." Which just the image that brings up of Ralph and his wife. Just oh, I have to stop and laugh. I'm sorry, guys. It's because it's hilarious. Uh, but anyway, uh, Lisa gets to Jesse uh, and basically introduces himself and says that uh, – introduces herself to him and says uh, – gives an explanation of who she is and, and what she's all about. Jesse? You do yoga? Yeah, but I started before it was cool. My name's Lisa Simpson. I think your protest was incredibly brave. Thank you. This planet needs every friend it can get. Oh, the Earth is the best. That's why I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> Well, that's a start. Uh, well, um, I was thinking of going vegan. <laughs> I'm a level five vegan. I won't eat anything that casts a shadow. Wow. Um, I started an organic compost pile at home. Only at home? You mean you don't pocket mulch? Oh, it's so decomposed. Do you think I could join Dirt first? Well, we might have an opening at the poser level. Oh, thank you, thank you. You gotta be careful with that pocket mulching. If it gets too hot, it'll set your pocket on fire, you know? Or it won't get hot enough and then it won't actually break down, you know? I have issues with pocket mulching, let's just put it that way. With the amount of pockets that you normally have on on at any one time, Matt, I would think that you'd be a huge supporter of pocket mulch. 
I would be if the science supported it. Unfortunately, in this particular case, he's just carrying around moldy, rotted things in his pockets, which is ugh. <laughs> There's a level of cleanliness I have to stick to. I'm sorry. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, I guess. So, yes, uh, at, at this point, Lisa gets Homer to drive her to a dirt first meeting uh, where they got some secret footage of the mayor auctioning off Springfield's oldest tree. Uh, the bidders are, of course, um, random guy we've never seen before who wants to make animals, cages for animals uh, experiments. Uh, we have the Thai menu guy who wants to make even more Thai menus. And then we go to the rich Texan uh, for only $100,000, which seems like a pretty good deal, honestly. Uh, those trees generally go for a lot of money. Uh, but he is going to build the world's first drive-in humidor, which, okay, sure, why not? You don't uh, want but at this, you don't know humidors, but you're not a fan of humidors? I despise cigars and everything they stand for. Everything. Like cigarettes. Everything yes. they, they're worse than cigarettes? I don't think yes. that's true. Cigars smell better I, than I cigarettes. Think, I think Patty, or no, uh, Selma put it best. It's like smoking five cigarettes at once. They smell better. I, they really don't. No, no. Cigars, I have never smelled a cigar that smelled anything, anything less than ten times as bad as a cigarette. <laughs> They're awful. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Now the cigar talk is over. With. I've I've, uh, I've smoked cigars and I thought they were fine. Oh God, no. Um. Anyway, uh. So the uh, eco concerned at the meeting. I Matt uh, Matt 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 Matt. I I see eco wusses here in the notes. <laughs> That's true. I will get to that phrase later on. Actually, uh, the eco concerned uh, decide that something must be done. However, it turns out they are eco wusses. Because they're not willing to go up there and never come down, not even for a fish concert or Burning Man. I mean, you, you don't want to miss Burning Man while you're up in a tree actually having an impact on the world. That's that's asking a little much of your environmental warriors. I was I was not aware that Burning Man was relatively well known in 2000. I feel like the Simpsons writers probably knew about it, but I don't think it was as widely known. Because uh, you're right, if I had watched this episode when it came out, I would have had no idea what Burning Man was. But, you know, there are a bunch of, you know, new age hippies. Of course they know what Burning Man was. Yeah, I that makes sense. I Again, I I think this book, this book, this episode is a little bit mean to, it, it feels very much like the, the South Park, where all dirty hippies Cartman yelling dirty hippies at everything that moves became a running gag and if this feels like it's kind of just like oh, guys like there's other jokes you can make there's better targets as well it's like look no one likes these people i i don't they just they're I, I, they their heart is in the right place they want the tree to be fine i don't know it's fine. It's fine. That, I think that's the lowest point in the episode for me is the those moments where they're like just insulting stand-ins for people. You know, and Lisa is the I, I, the good one, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, fine. I mean, that's fine because I mean, Lisa is a good one. Lisa is one of the good ones. You mm -hmm. heard her here first, guys. Yep. So yes. Uh, at this point, Lisa goes home to tell her family what she has decided to do, but uh, quite frankly, she does it in the most vague way possible. Mom, Dad, there's something I have to do. You're not going to like it, but I really believe it's the right thing. Arch, she's going to knock on our stash. We don't have a stash. No, of course not. 
yes, of course they don't have a stash, at least not one that Marge knows about, which goes counter to what we've heard before that Marge knows about all of Homer's secret stashes. But maybe this time he finally figured out a way to keep it from her. We don't know because the plot moves on from there. So Lisa makes it up the tree. Uh, she climbs up, uh, just which is an incredibly impressive feat for uh, an eight-year-old, but they don't focus on that because it's not quite as funny. Um, luckily, uh, she is up there because as soon as she gets up there, the uh, lumberjacks show up with their tiny little chainsaws to cut down the tree, which it's interesting because the chainsaws they show up with have no chance of cutting down that tree, none whatsoever. Uh, it's not till later that we see real lumberjacking chainsaws that are you know two-person affairs with you know a, a 20-foot chain in between them. Those would cut down a tree. This. I- I don't think the episode is really concerned about having a- accurate chainsaw uh, demonstrated. Well, that just goes to show you that what was lost from the golden years is attention to detail. I don't think that's true. I don't. <laughs> I don't think of, if all the things that you could criticize, I, I don't think they uh, the golden years are necessarily any more accurate about finer details like that. It just makes it more fair enough. More, it's more more easily picked upon when the rest of the episode isn't as good. Good point. So, uh, my nitpicking aside, uh, at this point, Jesse shows up. Uh, he calls Lisa by the wrong name. Uh, he calls her Laura and says that she's hardcore, which Lisa obviously doesn't care that he called her the wrong name. But when he calls her hardcore, she uh, she swoons a little bit and falls off. Luckily, she's got her safety rope, which is a terrible safety rope. I mean, really, you got to have a full-on harness and lanyard there, which obviously, again, safety concerns. But the Simpsons will let them go with a simple loop around the waist. We also uh, realized that after Lisa's been up there for a little while, uh, Bart sends her a note in her metal pail that she uses to bring things up and down, uh, foreshadowing there, uh, and that the family has is trying to find ways down. Homer is attempting to build a ladder because obviously he can't climb up the tree, uh, but it is a poor quality. <laughs> I like the I like this this gesture. I like it. It it doesn't take that much time, and it makes the family seem nice. Sending Bart sending her a, a some soup and a message from the family and it and it's just a short message about how the family is trying to help and that's all it, like it's just a short it's fifteen seconds but it's just a nice reminder of like hey the rest of the family's there and they love Lisa even if they don't necessarily always agree with her beliefs that's true in addition to all of that you also get the joke of Homer building a ladder himself and it obviously being a poor quality i have a feeling that if this had been last season we would have seen homer attempt to use that letter and fall 30 feet to no damage whatsoever which i appreciate them saving us that because hey we, we can imagine that for ourselves i don't think i don't know it has anything to do with this season uh matt because there's plenty of this season that has a very unnecessary physical maybe, comedy. Maybe the particular writer who is in charge of the writer's room for this. <laughs> yeah, I perhaps. Perhaps it is all perhaps. Matt. Perhaps it is. You can attribute that to, to Matt Selman. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So uh, at this point, uh, the, everyone is, is stopped paying attention to Lisa quite so much. She is alone in the tree and a storm blows in. And while Lisa is up in the tree, she starts to get homesick for home. And her resolve cracks a little bit. Seven o'clock. The family's just sitting down to dinner. Call that thing, Grace. Oh, now they're making popcorn. 
and hanging Christmas stockings and coloring Easter eggs. Oh, I can't take it. Would it be so bad if I just went home for an hour? Someone's been marking their territory. Hey, everybody, I... Oh. I'll just rest here for a minute. So, yes, uh, as you probably know, if you've seen this episode, when Lisa gets back, the oh no is because the tree has been felled. And as it has been felled, we go to a commercial. Dun, dun, dun! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the, the tree is down when we come back. Uh, and the newscaster, we, we are watching this, this newscast with Lisa and Marge at home. And uh, Kent Brockman breaks the news that not only the tree is down, but Lisa is also presumed dead. Why did I have to leave my post? Now, honey, let's turn on the news and forget our troubles. Springfield's oldest resident has died. No, it wasn't Mr. Burns. It was this majestic old redwood, which was brutally cut down last night. Oh. Not by loggers, but by lightning. Lightning? Oh. At least it wasn't my fault. Lightning attracted by this metal bucket. Yeah. Still unknown is the fate of tree sitter Lisa Simpson. I'm afraid it doesn't look good, Kent. We found her sleeping bag right here. Our working theory is that the lightning exploded her. Back to you, Kent. You don't get to say that. Goodbye, Lisa. We'll miss you. Yep, the lightning exploded her. <laughs> I, I mean, that's science, man. That's that's true. If you get struck by lightning, you will explode. You explode. I think that's been documented, right? I'm several times. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's basically uh, spontaneous combustion. That's why you don't run around with gunpowder in your pockets in a in a lightning storm. Exactly, or C four. You know. Yeah, it's, I mean, C four wouldn't be activated by electricity. Would it? No, it would. No, you need a. Some... It's a joke. Oh, I get. It. So. Uh-huh. We then see that there has been a shrine placed at the stump of the tree by Jesse, honoring Lisa. Oh my, they made you a shrine. I loved Lisa Simpson, loved her like a shrub, and I would give anything to see her sweet face again. (laughs) But in death, she will do more for our cause than she ever could have done in life. Uh Uh-huh. In Texas, we do tragedy right. That's why, in memory of that poor little girl, I'm turning this entire forest into the Lisa Simpson Wilderness Preserve. We won, Lisa. We finally won. This is for you. He cut off his favorite dread. We have to tell them you're not dead. No, Mom. 
It's a memorial forest now. If I'm alive, they'll cut it down. You are not pretending to be dead, young lady. This family has had nothing but bad luck when it comes to farce. I mean, she's not wrong there. <laughs> no, she's not. It, At I, least recent farce. Yeah, recent recent farce has had they've had some problems. Uh, I, they, I, also, perfectly like faking deaths has also only led to trouble. That's true for the family as well. So I I don't know. I think the this this third act is kind of where the episode falters a little bit. It kind of loses focus on. Well, yeah, it also becomes a little overly cartoony, but again, not nearly as much as the episodes surrounding it. I mean, it still has a kind of a a core of kindness and and Lisa and character and stuff because it, like this is the, all this is Lisa demonstrating that. No, I would rather be thought dead and let the forest survive. You know, as long as I'm dead, the forest will be fine. And there's just not a lot of conflict. There's not a lot of like big like there's not a, a ticking clock for the, the third act of this episode. There's not like some overarching conflict. It's just kind of uh, Lisa's thought dead and the tree is down and now the, the forest is safe. And they're kind of they spin their wheels a little bit, and then the everything happens all at once. Um, while Lisa's dead, the rest of the family are taking advantage of that fact. Uh, Bart is apparently using it to get all straight A's, which is totally the thing that happens for real, you guys. I heard it from my mother's brother's cousin once. Yeah, there's you don't there's no there, there's even a movie about that starring uh, the drummer from that thing you do. What really? Wow. Tom Everett? Is that that guy's name? Tom Everett Scott, I think is his name. Yep, Tom Everett Scott, and the name of the movie is Man, he's do he still does a lot of work. I have no idea. Um Dead Man on Campus is the name of that movie, Matt. Alrighty. And they try and get someone to commit suicide to get good grades. Um they yeah, it doesn't yeah, it's not true. It doesn't it's not real, guys. No one gets good grades because they know somebody dies. But Bart gets good grades because uh uh, Skinner thinks Lisa's dead. Homer goes to Moe's and uses Lisa's last words, quote unquote, to convince Moe to pour onions in his pants. Thanks for the beer, Moe. But before Lisa died, she made this tape that I think you should hear. Dear Moe, if anything should ever happen to me, I want you to tear up my dad's tab and pour cocktail onions. Dad, I can't. Read it. Pour cocktail onions down your pants. Well, I ain't never said no to a dead girl yet. That line has really kind of frightening implications about Mo. Indeed it does. And once again, Mo is incredibly creepy with just a line. A single (laughs) line that has just stunning implications. I've never, never said no to a dead girl. Um... I mean, if we if we take that charitably, maybe every uh, lots of other girls have died and asked him for things in their final bequests, and he has said yes to them. Why has he known so many people who have tragically died? I mean, he runs a bar. I assume they just died from alcohol poisoning. But women don't go to Moe's. They might have in the past. The women's bathroom is his office. Again, like I said, uh, Moe said they haven't had uh, women there since, what, 1977? Maybe Moe was working there before 1977. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, but we the, we get this little kind of sequence of, of different family members kind of dealing with the aftermath of Lisa's quote-unquote death. 
And then we cut back again to the rich Texan who is at the scene of the, where the tree was and now has, uh, is, is they're having like a memorial service or something for Lisa. And then they're going to have a, who is, I assume a famous saxophone player. I'm guessing is that guy that's just randomly there. Did you say, you don't know who Branford Marsalis is? I don't, Matt. Who's Branford Mar- Marsalis? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. I finally know something about music that you don't? To be fair. Where's my alarm? Holy crap. To be fair, Matt, it is about uh, a wind instrument, of a brass instrument, which, uh, which you are a specialist in. If, if, okay. The, well, if the if listeners are not aware, Matt is a retired <laughs> brass player. That's true. I am, uh, however, not saxophone, which is technically a woodwind instrument. But yes, uh, Branford Marsalis is a famous uh, musician in, in jazz and you know modern classical. Uh, his brother Winton, also famous, I think it's his brother, uh, and I believe their father also was a, a very famous uh, musician. I just do want to point this out, Matt, that you're correct. I don't know. I did not know who that was. Uh, also, I do want to that Matt's wife texted me, I believe, two days ago, kind of. Not even confused, just frustrated with the fact that Matt didn't know the song Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Yes, she actually played it for me, and I have never heard that tune ever before. I don't know how that's possible. I Again, why would I have heard your a father, soft your, rock song? Your father, does your father not My listen My father to Eric, listens to country music, okay? Not Eric Clapton? He's never listened to Eric Clapton. He might have when he was a kid, but my dad, the radio station my dad liked shut down in like 1989 it was a it was a rock music station and at that point he switched to country and there with the exception of rod stewart there has never been another non-country music song played around him why is rod stewart an exception i don't know okay that's not that seems like an outlier to me but okay um but Milhouse, then Milhouse steals the saxophone thinking they could clone lisa from the spit inside and I do like them. Like, who is it? Is it? I think it's Quimby who yells after Millhouse. Good luck, Millhouse. Well, because everyone wants more Lisas. I mean, Quimby probably shouldn't because Lisa's a crusader for, you know, good non-corruption. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Quimby is generally against. But I it's just a, there's a, a lot of odd things happening in this last sequence. It's not and it's not. There's not really one main driving force that they kind of lose connection to the theme of the episode, which I think I would think would be kind of connected to Lisa willing to do things for this dude who doesn't necessarily care about her. You know, I think that what it that's what it felt like. You know, that's what it felt like they're driving towards. You know, he doesn't remember her name. He's just some handsome guy and she's just smitten by him. So she's willing to go the extra length to save trees. And then I thought it feels like that's what they're driving towards. And at the end, it just kind of it devolves into kind of just a zany action sequence and not much else. You know, it's not it's fine. It's not terrible. It's just not really doesn't feel it feels disconnected from the rest of the episode. Um. After Milhouse runs off with the saxophone, we get the rich Texan saying the his founding an amusement park, at, I guess, right there. Is that they're just he's going to knock down all the trees and make an amusement park called Lisa Land with the giant uh, trunk of the downed tree now supported by a massive like system. supporting Lisa's giant head. Yeah, Lisa's giant head on top of it. 
it's all it's stood up by a bunch of you know guiding wires and this is when lisa makes her triumphant return to life i'm not dead and neither is my sense of moral outrage uh here we go sir have you no shame clearly i don't now get your hiney off of lisa land a redwood is not a promotional tool and then I, w- I didn't include the rest of it because it's just a bunch of loud noises. Uh, they cut down the they recut down the big tree. The red well, one. by cutting the guy wires. Yes. Which, uh, I wanted to make sure uh, I noted in our notes that for some reason, uh, environmental warriors really seem to get a lot of use out of bolt cutters. So if you're planning on, you know, becoming active in the environmental movement, make sure you buy yourself a good set of bolt cutters. because They come in real handy. Matt, I would argue that if you're up to mischief of any kind, bolt cutters, that's a good point. Good actually. purchase. Bolt cutters and a crowbar, all you need. That's true. I mean, if you ever have to torture somebody, bam, bolt cutters right there. Snip off little pieces I, of fingers. I re- okay, Matt. Don't think we needed that information, but thanks for letting us know where your headspace is at. Exactly. I mean, how many mafia movies have you seen where they cut off people's fingers? I mean, it's a lot. I Matt, mean, again, you you continued. You're again the repeating of the fingers. Not. I don't know if you need to. We're gonna get to Homer losing a thumb at some point. When is trilogy? Oh yeah, that's true. It's coming up. When is trilogy bear? Twelfth. It's in no, this. It's, it's in the season. Trilogy oh, Bears. Season up. Trilogy Bears is, is, is this season. So we have plenty of losing um, digits, <laughs> digit digit loss. But then the tree it falls down with Lisa's big head on it on top of it, and then it just <laughs> it like it just slides down the mountain, down the hills, into the town itself, destroying both OmniPave, which is the name of the rich Texans company, which we've never heard before. And yeah, I'm sure that's one of his companies. He's yeah. a rich person. I obviously has tons of companies to hide, you know, embezzlement in. <laughs> that's Matt. How dare you imply? Yeah, I'm sure there are. I'm sure that there are a number of wealthy people who have not gotten rich through, you know, uh, shady means. I mean, I could probably count them on, you know, two whole hands. I mean, it's not their fault. There's so many loopholes that allow them to not pay taxes and to hide all their money and to make money off the backs of, uh, you know, lesser, lesser equipped people who can't defend themselves. It's not their That's fault. That's true. It's not the their fault. It's so easy. I know. Um, so it destroys, destroys OmniPave. It also destroys the hemp store, which, surprise, surprise, Springfield has a hemp store. Yeah, I mean, Springfield is, is everywhere. I thought everywhere had a hemp store back then. I... I, I, it feels like, is Springfield big enough to have a head shop? In the 2000s, maybe one, and it was probably on the bad side of town. Now they probably have like eight. I mean, they're all vape stores now, but yeah. Yeah, it's a little different. Um, But it gets destroyed, unfortunately, uh, for, for Jesse and all the hippies. I mean, eco-friendly, whatever. Uh, the, 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 the rich Texan celebrates when that store is destroyed. Um, and then we cut back to the last scene where Jesse has been arrested again and Lisa is visiting him again and, uh, they have a little moment together. Aw, Jesse, they locked you up again. Yeah, but I'm still fighting for the earth. I even got him to install a solar-powered electric chair. Dude, we've been here all morning. Could you at least re-moisten my head sponge? Well, I'll write your letters on rice paper with a soy pencil. Ah, you're sweet. 
Did they ever stop that log? Not yet. What's up with that? This log is your log. This log is my log. When lightning struck it, it kicked the bucket. I put some onions inside my trousers. This log, it used to be a tree. Now it spreads love to you and me. It's out to see. You had to have the whole song, didn't you? I just wanted to include it because it's really crazy. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And I think that's the, like, I, I don't know. The, Mike Scully has been heard about how, like, his his notes about this, these, his seasons are, yeah, I just, you know, the show got weird and that's fine. And this is an example of that, that this is just weird. It's not that it's necessarily bad. It's just really strange having a giant log that has Lisa's giant head on it, going traveling the countryside, helping people. Yeah. Going out to sea with this song on the top of it. That is a, a true example of it just being really strange and inexplicable, which I'm fine with in general. I, I, I it doesn't. This this episode doesn't really. I don't think it sticks the landing necessarily. I don't think it really in, ends up saying anything about Lisa other than other what we already knew. You know, she's a good person that stands up for her beliefs and can easily be swayed by handsome environmentalists, just like all of us. I mean, we're only human. It's true. The handsome, uh, the handsome among us uh, have power over the rest of us. And he cut off his the, his that the the his favorite dread for her, Matt. Oh yeah, part of his favorite dread. That's true. Yeah, part. Um, I think this episode's like way better than most scholier episodes. I'll say that. Uh, I do you think it's good, Matt? I think it's far better than anything around it. Uh, absent treehouses of horrors, um, but um, I would call it decent. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't. There, there wasn't anything about this episode that I thought, "Oh, this is so dumb. Why are they doing this?" Which is a big step up. <laughs> so I would, I would call it good. You would call it good. Okay, I'm not sure if I'd make that leap. I, I enjoyed it. I, it's enjoyable. It's above average. I don't know. It, I, it's decent. I think I agree there. I don't know if I can quite call it good, though. Yeah, like I said, it's it's very much on that line. Yeah, it's close. We'll rank it at the end of the show. Um, no submission of this, my favorite episode. However, this episode is not broken. We do not need to fix it. Not even close for once. Yeah, thankfully. It's not a discussion today. Uh, we can move on to our next segment. It's time for comments of the news group. Okay, here we are. Alt.nerd.obsessive. Comes to the news group is where I come through the old Alt.tv.simpsons news group, see what people are talking about the week or two after an episode debuted, what they thought of the episode, and if anything, inter- any other interesting notes popped up. Um, mostly really good reviews, Matt. I'm, I'm, so I'm, surprised. I'm not surprised. Again, Stockholm Syndrome. That's <laughs> not. No, no. Uh, the first, Lisa the Traeger is probably one of the best episodes of recent memory. Almost makes one forget such duds as Kill the Alligator and Run and Missionary Impossible. Almost. It had excellent writing, good characterization, and plenty of laughs. Homer was not a jerk, and he didn't get mortally wounded. In fact, I don't think I have any serious complaints about this episode. Sure, it wouldn't hold up if it compared to an episode from The Simpsons Prime, but this late in the game, I don't think it gets too much better than this, and I loved every second of it. A+. 
great episode. It's about time the show made fun of environmental groups, which can get just as obnoxious as the let business do what it wants. Anti-environmental groups. I disagree. The part opening, though similar to Marsh Be Not Proud, was original and hilarious enough to be funny. Plot was well done and not too contrived. And nearly all the jokes worked. Though this log is your log number almost had me. R-O-T-F-L. R-O-T-F-L, man. Altogether, a superb 9 out of 10. A. It's A minus doing the math at home uh the first thought of this was going to be at least was going to be too political for a good one thing that bugs me however it turns out to be better than expected with a balanced storyline that is easily handled with three different acts with a different storyline bart becoming a flyer boy something I can, something i can relate to lisa meets activists lisa lives in a tree lisa is considered dead by most of springfield the only thing that needs to be changed though is if they got rid of marge's song about saving money boo <laughs> boo boo best part of the episode i stand by it for sure it's an a uh, finally, this is the one big negative one I found. While it did have a moment or two of laughter, this episode as a whole was terrible. The ending especially left me with a bad taste in my mouth. While there was actually a plot in the episode, it seemed more like a front for the writers to display their views on the modern environmental movement. I'm assuming that they really dislike proactive environmentalists. Uh, note, Homer to the max. If this is what they consider social commentary, then I recommend they just go back to weird, wild, wacky, jerk-ass Homer. I was going to give this a C- until I saw the last minute. The magic log bit was just too extreme slash stupid slash overbearing for me. D. It could be, We've gone over why that could, person is mostly yeah, wrong. It could be way worse, I would say. that, that these are, it is, It's not that it's like overtly... My problem with the, the environmentalist jokes are not that they're mean, necessarily. It's just they're kind of layups. They're too easy. Like I think you could, you could do a little bit better. Um, however, man, I don't. Did you? I don't know if you knew any of this, but this is based on a true story. Really, I did not. Lisa, uh, uh, another twenty-five-year-old uh, Julia uh, Butterfly Hill, uh, a member of Earth First, co-founder of Circle of Life Foundation, uh, cl- climbed 180 feet up into a, uh, a a redwood tree to save it. She named the tree Luna. Um, she lived on the tree for just over two years. Wow. And they spared the tree. The tree is still standing to this day. It's been, I think, uh, vandalized a couple times, but it's still there. It's still doing all right. It's still holding on. Um, and she is still active as an environmentalist, uh, with her foundation. She sold a book about her struggle and that's what the writers based the story of the episode on. Uh, this, this woman who climbed into a redwood tree and saved it. The more you know. Indeed. Uh, we also, th- I don't know where else to include this, but I, it, Zach, uh, Zach Power emailed us letting us, we, we, last week we were confused about why they, the, they had Christopher Walken reading Good Might Moon to children, like threateningly. And we're like, why? And he sent us a YouTube video of uh, Christopher Walken on a talk show or a variety show, entertainment show, reading Three Little Pigs in not the children directly, but kind of the same tone of like that kind of semi-threatening, kind of creepy way. Which, if you, you YouTube, go on YouTube and look for Christopher Walken, Three Little Pigs, you will find the video. Um, I do. I, however, I do want, also want to point out that by this point, Christopher Walken had been doing it was the the bit was the Continental, I believe it's it was called on SNL. And he also had done the more cowbell bit as well on in ah. SNL by this point, which is very famous and I think would make people view him a little bit more as a comedic actor, not just as a threatening psychopath. <laughs> um, but thanks, Zach, for that note. I appreciate it. 
um, we can move on to our next segment. It's time for the listener question of the week. Let's try one more number. <gasps> Yellow. KBBL is going to give me something stupid. Well, hot dog, we have a wiener. Yellow. Our listener question of the week this week is, why did this show never become great again? Why did it never, you know, I, I, I talked about this last week, but how SNL, has go- another long, long-running show, has gone through kind of peaks and valleys. Sometimes it's bad, but sometimes, sometimes a season or two goes by, and then suddenly they're great again, and with a lot of great cast members. Um, and uh, surprise, uh, the turnout on this, it's a, a thinker, but you guys really, uh, you really uh, showed up, got a lot of good answers. I appreciate everyone who took the time. Uh, first from Aaron. No show can turn out Golden Age tier quality for 30 years. Most shows would be happy to have the 10 or so The Simpsons had. I think people forget just how many undeniably classic episodes the show had. At a certain point, characters stop being as memorable or groundbreaking. Ideas run out and rehashing begins. My of those or so episodes I consider near classic quality from this decade. The show would have, should have ended around the time of the movie. Uh, Wayne, uh, because it was still popular without being great, maybe that's what kids wanted at the time. They forgot the original fans. They change as from their perspective. They move with the times. They keep pe- give, keep giving people what they want, and it keeps getting renewed. One could speculate that the reason Matt made Futurama was to get back to a show he wanted to make. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Futurama started when The Simpsons demise began. You are 100% correct. Yeah. Um, Hannah, there are two things that made The Simpsons the best show on television. A great team, writers, cast, directors, and producers – and two, a maniacal whipcracker that would punish the talented, push the talented team to their <laughs> limits to get the best out of them. <laughs> Over the years, writers and producers came and went, and the quality was impacted. The cast has clearly gotten fatigued with the roles with no new cast to any real extent. Things are fairly stagnant. There is great television still coming out, but no great Simpsons. Best episodes from season 20 plus are where they completely break the mold, give up on trying to be the Simpsons, and just do something interesting. Uh, from Thomas. I think part of it is just that Al Jean has been the showrunner for most of the series' run now. I don't think of him as a bad guy. I do get the sense that he's a bit miserable trying to come up with new ideas year to year, and some of the laziness stems from that. Uh, from Al Stair, it's down to the writers and what's expected of them. They're li- literally hired not funny writers for a long time now. I'm not sure why. Maybe they got good grades in college and know a lot of important people, and the truly fun people didn't? It's weird to say they ran out of ideas. There's thousands of shows on the air, and they're funny because of why? The writers. Foolishly hoping with the Disney merger that some kind of that some kind of uh, some kind soul will fire all the writers and demand a certain kind of quality. Uh, from David, depends on what you're looking for. If you want a comedy show, they still have at least one uh, laugh out loud moment laugh out loud moment each episode, which is far more than most comedies. But if you dis- dissect every aspect, then almost no show is enjoyable. The formula has been pretty much remained the same. Have have them in a strange situation. Maybe teach them a lesson. Have jokes scattered throughout. Not to be all Skinner, but we've changed. We've expected different, and we watched these shows as a kid and enjoyed them. As an adult, you get more critical. Uh, from Ivana, I grew up watching uh, The Simpsons. My brother and I watched them live every Sunday since 1997. We stopped after season 12. I think they lost the essence of what made the show great. It wasn't just about keeping up with what was going live and making it funny. Ultimately, endings wrapped up, sh- up to uh, show a nice little take on morality, even though Homer is kind of a did it. He's a really sweet man who loves his family. Same goes for Lisa and Bart, when they protect each other and have each other's back. In earlier seasons, they would really focus on these themes. And it showed a unity that made me feel like there was an undertone of trying to have a moral. Now Homer is just a big uh, big idiot, and there's no real substance to him other than that. In recent seasons, there's no real cohesiveness or that family value and unity they really reached for before. This got more random with their stories and jokes, which aren't even funny. I definitely think it's just a wonderful chemistry that existed with original writers could not be recreated in later seasons. Uh, from Employee Million at Owen O. Benjamin, you, c- you can't just tell the same sorts of stories hundreds of times for decades on end. 
They're lucky to have a quality run for roughly a decade, but creatively, there's no reason to keep writing Simpsons episodes. There's a, there's a reason my favorite modern stories are all adventure or sci-fi based. Uh, Casey, a Casey masterpiece. When they stopped working long, long, long hours to make the scripts better and better, the quality went down. They never went back to that. There are definitely talented people there all 30 years, but people pretty good became good enough. Uh, Lauren at El Columbia 88. The characters don't develop or grow or change anymore, and we've seen the same stories repeated. Still think aging them up even just a year to give a new perspective would help a lot. Uh, Ryan at EID9. They never had a reason financially to do so. The ratings never dropped appreciably. Fox kept forking over the dough. They got fat and happy. Uh, the professor, yes, I would, Kent. Characters have been smoothed over time to no longer have any rough edges. Jokes no longer feel that they've been through dozens of rewrites for perfection. Hardly any heart is used anymore. I can't see episodes like Deathless or Lisa the Greek being made now where characters grow. Uh, from Derek at me, Is Mis Derek. I've always hated the it just went too long excuse. The problem really lies with the apathy of the writers who are content to turn out sclerotic vapidity 22 times a year. Good vocab. I actually Indeed. much I actually much prefer the insanity of Scully Simpsons to Gene's zombie Simpsons. And finally from John at Chapa Style 311. The thing is, there really isn't anything wrong with Gene's Scratchy show. It's as good as ever. But after so many years, the characters can't have the same impact they once had. But seriously, a decrease in runtime, inability to replace talent that either has passed slash left the show, and question mark refusal to branch out with show pending episodes i think has hindered the show uh matt what's your answer honestly it's mostly what everyone has said uh i think like we pointed out several times the dip in quality happened when a few things uh, occurred one uh matt Groening went to focus on futurama uh took david uh cohen with him uh, and i think they were probably pretty important to the show they went to work on a show they were more interested in uh and secondly uh when the writers started working a nine to five essentially uh, i mean there are probably times where they went a little longer than that but it seemed like uh they were not willing to uh put in the hours that they were to craft the comedy to the level it, it was designed to be at it had been for so long and i'm not faulting them for that i mean I don't ever want to work more than a nine to five. That sounds awful. I hate when my job makes me work nights, nights and weekends and 14 hour days. But that's when it started to falter. And I think at that point, the Simpsons were kind of in a messed up place because back then you couldn't have a TV show that does 10, 11 episodes and calls it a season, uh, which, you know, if, you know, you want to work the same amount of hours, you can have half the episodes and you spend more time on them, craft the jokes better. That's what places do now. I, I can't imagine. I don't even know of a show uh the half hour show that does a full season anymore, unless they're on network television. Like if you're not on network television, you use that extra time to make the, uh, fewer episodes that are better. Uh, and I think that's probably the majority of what happened to it. Yeah. It's a, it's not necessarily just one thing. I think it is a confluence of events. I think one Matt Granning left or, and or didn't care about the show as much anymore. I don't, there's varying reports of how, he was how much he was involved after the first couple seasons but it's i can't it, it seems like too much of a coincidence to me that the, the literally when as they start working you know when they would start be working on futurama to build up towards its its debut is right when this show stopped being as consistently great i it is a little bridge for me to say that yeah that it's just a coincidence. Matt Green just happened to go and move on to another show right when the show, the Simpsons stopped being consistently as good. Um, they stopped working longer hours to make the show as crafted as it was, which again, like you said, I don't necessarily fault anyone for doing it, but I, I at that point, I would say, end the show. Um, I 
my own writing, I happily, I work many, well, much longer hours than I've ever worked on a, uh, you know, a, a normal job. But that, I don't know. I, I I think there was no whip cracker anymore. Mike Scully was content with them just, you know, that's good enough. We can go home. And then after Al Jean came back, they, he didn't do enough to change it again. He didn't want to be the guy, I guess, to make people work incredibly long hours to make sure the show was as great as it was. I think it you lost Phil Hartman. The, and they never grew the cast. They've never hired more supporting, like more cast members to fill in to to be able to be able to make them more have more characters to fill to make it fresh, like to have new recurring characters. Like even through seasons, as the show got through season six, seven, eight, they are still adding background characters all the time. And who have they added post season ten? Like Gil. And and Disco Stew, like you know, Disco Stew, he was before that. Like Gil and Duffman. And not not only that, but those are characters that are generally voiced by the main cast already. So you're not really adding as much new. I feel like there is something uh, that can be injected into a series when you add a new voice actor in. And maybe it could be like Phil Hartman, where you don't have him every episode. You have him a quarter of the episodes, or even less, honestly. Just something new, a new recurring character that you can dip into when you want a joke. Or just to take the the shift shift the attention away from the family just once in a while to let it feel more fresh, so that when we do get back to the core family, it's like oh it's, we get a little break from them and then we come back to them. Even in season thirty, that's still welcome. I think it, the show had already reached the peak of television. Like I I would like a lot of people have said like it's some of the best. We say it all the time. Some of the best television ever made and. It's a problem of more like what else what are challenges like for all the people that worked on the show up, they all went on to do other things to be challenged in different ways. You know, Conan O'Brien, he went to do his own TV shows. All these writers, they like we've we on our Patreon, we've covered all, all a slew of of shows that all the showrunners have gone on and tried, you know, they tried to they did the critic. Uh, they did uh, Mission Hill with uh, Josh Weinstein and Bill Oakley. Like there there's a bunch of other shows as well. And other challenges that these guys went on to try and do other things because after a while, they, I've done this show for a couple of years or three or four, however long it was, and they're kind of tired of it. They want to do something else except just write The Simpsons, and I understand that. Um, I, I, and I think that it was complacency. I think it was kind of I don't. There's it's a lot of things happening all at once that I think I don't. That I think the I I, I don't know why the show continues like as the time of recording this, they just announced that there's a season 31 and 32. And I think it's just, Hey, the ratings are still good enough and the costs aren't too high. They still make money. They still make money. They make plenty of money on, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Matt? Um, shows re-airing on, in uh, syndication, reruns. syndication reruns. Um, they're making, still making, I think money hand over foot with that. It's a easy way to do it. And with merchandise and stuff like that, I think they still make a lot of money. So there's no real reason to end the show because and I, I'm there was mention of Disney and what that's going to affect anything because it's apparently Simpsons are still going to air on Fox, be owned by Disney. Fox is going to like pay Disney to air the Simpsons on Fox still because they're like, you know, they're they definitely there's a definitely a strong connection there. Like when I think of Fox, I think of the Simpsons. It's it's. I don't think I ever won't think that, but I don't know if what Disney's going to do. You think they're just going to, they could just fire everyone, clean house and have new people. 
I my suspicion is they won't. My suspicion is that they will keep Algene in charge and just have him keep running the ship and churn out episodes uh, and give him their, his budget and have just have him report to the next person. Maybe they won't. I don't know. It, it, you know, Disney say what you will about their business practices. They generally do make good art. Like Disney movies are generally good. Pixar movies are yep. generally good. The Marvel movies are good generally. Like mostly, mostly is Disney stuff. Disney television shows are even mostly good. Like I, so, I don't know. We'll see. <sighs> hey, Matt. Yes. Next week's question: most underrated Lisa episode. Ooh, that's a good one. Not necessarily the best or your favorite, <laughs> but the most underrated. What do you think doesn't get enough attention? Uh, and enough, enough, like, enough of a spotlight. I know what that means. It's probably going to come from the last ten seasons because no one's watched those. Probably true. That's probably true. If you want to be fair, you, I mean, I again, I don't try and I don't want to guide anyone towards you know a specific answer. Just take it as you will. Uh, post this question on all the social media: facebook.com/slash the Simpsons Show Pod, Twitter at Simpsons Show Pod. You can email us at Simpsons Show Pod at gmail.com. We can move on, Matt, to our next segment. It is time. For the no Google Trivia Challenge. I am too smart. I am too smart. S-M-R-T. I mean S-M-A-R-T. The no Google Trivia Challenge is for Matt and I each challenge each other with three trivia questions. One easy, one medium, one hard. And try and stump the other. Matt has a one point lead on me so far through three episodes. Matt, give me an easy question. Yes. All right, your easy question for today. All of these come from Bart Starr. Ooh. So I'm not sure how many times you've seen that. Probably less than five. <laughs> Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. Uh, what position does Bart get promoted to after Nelson leaves the team? Quarterback? You are correct. Starting quarter. I, I guess starting quarterback, I suppose. Did he have a position before? He did. And the fact that you don't need, know that Uh-oh. means that I'm gonna. that's going to be a future question. <laughs> oh, no, that's not good at all. Okay, Matt. These are all from Itchy and Scratchy and Marge. Okay. What does Marge campaign against in Itchy and Scratchy and Marge? cartoon violence that is correct okay you could also just say itchy and scratchy i think i would have accepted that what's my medium question all right sir your medium question is what according to flanders what will peewee sports keep you away from how many things do i need to list there are two okay i would i uh (laughs) hmm because there's an easy answer but i'm thinking how flanders would say it i don't think it's the easy I think it would be a little bit more flanderized answer. I don't because I think it would be drugs and gr- girls and drugs, I think would be. But I think it's not. That's not what he says. I think it's. uh, Keep you away from. Uh, is it like sinning? Something sinning. I think it's like feel like sinning. I think he says the word sinning of some sort and something to do with like it's not because he doesn't say the easy answer. He says something that's even weirder, which is kind of appealing. Uh, I can't remember though. Like sinning in television. I don't remember exactly what he says. What does he say? He says a rock music and girls, rock music and girls. Uh, I should have gone with my gut. All right, Matt, your medium question. Okay. What is the first volume of the complete handyman's bookshelf? What is it? What does it cover? What's the title? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I, I I know this. This is a joke in the background. Um, oh Lord, it's like um from something to something, right? There's multiple volumes. 
that you see. Multiple volumes. Oh, and you want all of them? No, just the first one. Okay. The third. You, would, you say... would not. You would not be able to answer all three of them. That's what no. I would not. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure the first one is just spice racks. Is that your final answer? Yes. You're correct. Oh, phew. <laughs> what are the others? Please tell me. I love this joke. Um, bookshelves. It's uh the the second is knickknack shelves and uh, the third is oh what is the, I just looked at it today I almost far I think I've forgotten it third is something really complicated I forget what it was I'd have to look I forget I'll I'll have to look it up later um what's my hard question then all right so your hard question what charity receives a donation from each football sold they're selling footballs uh when they're Lisa is trying out, uh, she objects to the footballs being used. Uh, oh, right, 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 right. Uh, I want to say it's. Hmm, I know it's something. I know it's about pigskins, and then they rebuke her and say, "No, they actually don't use pigskin anymore. It's all f- like healthy, free trade, organic, alternative non-leather <laughs> or whatever it is." It was a bit before that, but yeah. Um. I want to say Pepita, but um, it might be Greenpeace or the Audubon Society or something like that. I'll say Pita. Sorry, Robbie. It is the Amnesty International. Amnesty uh, she International. Okay. Uh, she complains about them using the skin of an innocent pig, but it turns out they're synthetic and uh, a dollar from every football goes to Amnesty International. I thought it was going to be an animal thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Your hard question, man. What is on Marge's checklist when she is watching Itchy and Scratchy for research purposes? Oh, man. Um, I, I don't know the specifics, but I'm going to list a few. Uh, stabbing, uh, cat blown up, uh, uh, decapitation or heads chopped off, um, maiming, uh, shooting, uh on there uh, cutting I guess that's what I'm going to go with there are some funnier ones that I just can't remember the answer is Matt cats blown up mice launched dogs tricked gophers buried alive <laughs> wow I'm thinking of a different list eyes knocked out <laughs> disembowelings and then finally brains slammed in car door of course, brain slammed in car door. Pretty, pretty good, pretty good. Oh. Brain slammed in car door. <sighs> Man, I don't like how this is going. I'm sure you'll turn it around, Robbie. No, I believe I, in you. I, belief is a fool's game. You I'm, said it, not me. I live in a world of cold hard facts, and my cold hard fact is you are four points ahead of me. That's way I need to close the gap now. I cannot let this this lead last for this. And then, or otherwise, I'll be buried. And then it's just a, it's a repeat. I can't. I'm already getting flashbacks. Um, Matt has a three-point lead on me, right? Yeah, three-point yes. three lead on me after this episode. Um, we can move on to our final segment. The segment we end every single episode with. It's time for best episode ever. Best episode ever. Best episode ever is the part of the show. Matt and I rank the episodes categorically. So we watch them chronologically, eventually compiling a list of every episode ever. And how good they are. So, Matt. Mm-hmm. I would put this... Uh, to start, I think it's better than E-I-E-I Annoyed Grunt. 
Uh, okay, yeah, I was definitely looking there. I, I was looking somewhere probably between 150 and 200. Uh, somewhere in that range, looking at those episodes. So, for example, 174 is Das Bus. I can't believe I'm saying this. I think that one's a little better than this one. Um, but uh, you're right. I, I think it's a little better than EIEI Annoyed Grunt. Right above that, we have Bart the General. So looking in between these two. I don't know. I, I, I think it is in that in, that is in that wheelhouse that's in that area. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's be- – Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington is 170. I don't think it's better th- – definitely don't think it's better than that. No, uh, no. Actually, but- I, I'm looking down uh, – sorry, real quick uh, – just around 184 is margin chains. I, I want to compare this pretty favorably to that because margin change was a very interesting Marge episode that I don't think gets a lot of credit. I yeah, margin chains I think is all right. I think it suffers from the same thing a lot of Marge episodes do is that it kind of loses focus in the third act. Um, I think it's fine. I just I often like I think a lot of these episodes I think are in that kind of air again i'm looking oh i i look down and then i remember oh wait auto show is at 178 i think this is better than the auto show or (laughs) the cartridge family i don't know it's i lord of the dance is also kind of a a lisa episode i think this is not as good as lord of the dance i think lord of the dance is better than this i would definitely agree Uh, when it comes to something that's that's about lisa and how she interacts with people yeah uh, i would definitely definitely she's I, i think that kind of delivers something you know about the lisa as a character this kind of gets like two-thirds of the way there and then kind of stops and i don't know where like it it does get i i I give it kind of like a a brownie points because it's like nice and not it's not just insufferable meanness for 20 minutes it's it's kind there's like the family is nice to each other and it's not and as one of the reviews from the news group said, Homer is not mortally wounded at any point. So there's that. I, I don't know. As much as I don't like the auto show or I don't like the Carter's family, I feel like they deliver a slightly more complete message than this does, which is this kind of craziness at times. Um, especially the third act. I think the third act is yeah. where this episode falters. Um, Just a little bit. I think I'd put it... I think... I think that takes I think that takes it out. I think I that's where I would say I don't I don't know if it's better than Bart the General. Like, I I think when I say it's I think I think it's better than the I know I grunt. I don't think it goes any higher than that. I mean, right above that is Itchy and Scratchy and Marge when you bait your trivia questions on. So well, uh, yeah. I, I believe you there. Well, I don't know. I, I think uh, at the end of the day, it's not a bad place to be necessarily. No. And, and it's not. I don't think this episode is great. And I did earlier hesitate to even call it good, but I think that's where we're at. Where season 12, if an episode is just like above average, we're like, oh man, this is nice. This is good. It's like jumping into like a hot bath and you're, you're really cold and you're like, oh, that relief. Um, Are you, uh, what do you think, man? Is that, is that an okay spot for it right below Bart the General? Or do you, are you want to put it higher? I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I, I recently rewatched Bart the General. It is, better than i ever really give it credit for it's probably one of the best episodes in season one entirely yeah i think so i think it is it's 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 really like it's cohesive in a way that that this episode is not it's not it's more coherent than a lot of other season 11 and 12 scholier episodes which are 90 percent below this on below it on the list so it's just not it still has the kind of cartooniness in the cartoonishness and it's just generally very strange and doesn't really deliver a message other than hey there's a giant log basically yeah lisa the tree hugger 
Number 192 on our list. Right below Barth the General, right above E-I-E-I, Annoyed Grunt. Last on the list is still Kill the Alligator and Run. First on the list is Homer's Enemy. Hey, Matt, we have a new challenger for Worst Episode Ever next week. Oh, don't remind me. Ugh. Homer versus right. Homer versus Dignity featuring... I might take up drinking next week. Featuring Panda, a, a sexual assault by pandas. Remember that's in that episode. That's all I remember about that episode, quite frankly. Oh, and them throwing fish on people at the end. <laughs> That's yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. I'm sure we'll really have a good time with it. We love we love all the stuff in that one. So watch along with us, or don't. Probably better if you don't, honestly. But we'll see. Yes. Yeah. That's next week. Um. That'll do it for us. You can find all the stuff at our, at our website, thesimpsonshow.com, links to our Facebook, to our Twitter, to our RSS feed, or to a link to our Patreon if you want to throw the show a couple dollars. We'd obviously appreciate it. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at Robbie Dorman. Please check out my other podcast, Hands the Boys Comics Hour. It's about comic books, the serial finesse. It's about lots of nerdy things. By the time you hear this, you'll there'll be a podcast up about the Into the Spider-Verse, right on time, two months late. We're doing a podcast about Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, me and me and well, by of, now people will have seen it, so you don't have to have uh, as much of a spoiler warning. I guess that's true. Me and friend of the show Andrew Bloom talk about uh spider, some Spidermans, many Spidermans. Um, Matt does not participate. That's true. Matt does not participate in social media. Was a certain level of Patreon backer. You want to find him? Uh, that's true. I have decided uh lately to become one with sound, like my hero Ulysses Claw. So all you need to do oh. is shoot some phonons <laughs> at me. Just line them up straight headed towards me. Just make sure there's none of this pesky matter in the way and just hit me with them and I'll get your message encoded into the, uh, I, I believe it's the, um, oh, uh, uh, the, uh, the polarization. I believe it's a circular polarization for phonons. I could be wrong. So make sure you do your research first. Once you get your, once you get your physics PhDs, then we can talk. Your hero. I stopped listening to all that, Matt. When you said your hero, Ulysses, Ulysses Claw. Claw. For those who I mean, don't know that, so that's... I Wakanda to keep all of that, uh, that vibranium to themselves. Obviously, he's a hero. He's, he's like Robin Hood. I'm fairly certain Claw died in the comic books. Isn't he just dead now? He's been dead several times, but he's made of sound. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm Robbie. And I'm Matt. And you keep watching The Sips Shh.